Welcome. You've entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simran Singh. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Learn to empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simran Singh. Welcome. I'm excited about the series that I have started, which really delves into what's going on in the world in relation to our spirituality and what we as individuals can do to impact collective change. Do you have the capacity to look in-depth at the human psyche, which is behind all of the political, economical, social, and individual behavior? Would you like to interconnect the great changes, the cycles, and polarizations throughout history with human nature and psychodynamic defense mechanisms? Would you like to discover the existential fear of groundlessness and the root of a danger that is the plague of our time. The polarized mind is a wide-ranging mix of history, politics, philosophy, anthropology, and psychology slash psychotherapy based on an incredible amount of knowledge and scientific facts. The Polarized Mind, the book that we're discussing today by Dr. Kirk J. Schneider, is a peak of existential humanistic inquiry and of what it's capable of actually producing. This is a guidebook for a better future, showing the way out of this urgent and dangerous collective situation by underscoring what's possible through personal growth. My guest today is Dr. Kirk J. Schneider, and he has written this book, The Polarized Mind. I am excited to welcome him in to discuss all of the knowledge that is here based on facts, based on history. Dr. Kirk J. Schneider is a leading spokesperson for contemporary existential humanistic psychology. He's a recent past editor of the Journal of Humanistic Psychology and vice president of the Existential Humanistic Institute. Dr. Schneider has published over 100 articles and chapters and has authored or edited nine books, seven of which have either been or will soon be translated into Chinese. I'd like to welcome Dr. Schneider to 1111 Talk Radio. Welcome, Kirk. Thanks so much, Simran. Uh, this is a this is a really power packed book. Um, it's 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 not a huge book, but it has got some dense information that is really really powerful for these times. And I want to dive into as much of it as possible as we can for the show because I think it's such an important subject. So why don't we start off with what is the polarized mind? Well, I call the polarized mind the scourge of of humanity, Um, certainly the psychological or psycho-spiritual scourge of humanity. Um, Basically, the polarized mind is the fixation on a single point of view to the utter exclusion of competing points of view. And it's been a major uh, challenge from uh, the beginning of recorded time, actually. Uh, both in terms of uh, how leaders have embodied a polarized mind, as well as the uh, the cultures that they have uh, led. So when we're looking at the polarized mind, we're looking at it both on an individual level and then on a collective level. So this, as I read through this book, what I really got was, although we're talking about the macrocosm in the way it's playing out in the world, we are equally looking at how we as individuals or how leaders as individuals have had that, and then it influenced a greater rippling effect outwardly. Yes, that's right. Uh, 
what I found in, in my uh, historical studies of this, this topic is that there seems to be a kind of a perfect storm between the backgrounds of leaders and the, the cultures that they have led, uh, in, in particular with regard to trauma. Um, most of the leaders who have become uh, fascistic, totalitarian, autocratic in, in my studies, I mean, as far as we, you know, as far as we can go back in history and really know something about the backgrounds of these leaders, uh, most of these leaders have uh, suffered uh, significant uh, upheaval in their lives, either uh, significant losses um, or have been uh, brutalized as, ch as children. Uh, this is certainly the, the case, uh, from my understanding, of uh, Hitler, Stalin, and Mao. Uh, you, could, you could say that they're sort of the, the poster children for uh, polarized minds. Uh, that um, in those cases, and in a number of cases, uh, these leaders have been rendered, or at least experienced, life in a, in a, a, a powerfully uh, helpless state, uh, developing a, a sense of um, being dismissed, uh, being cut down, uh, often by uh, paternal figures in their lives, their fathers, uh, being beaten, uh, and uh, with uh, very little let-up, and... and uh, seemingly experiencing the world as uh, insignificant and, and not counting. And uh, it, interestingly, that, that sense of the world seems to associate with what uh, social psychology is increasingly calling uh, death anxiety. And I, I call yeah, it the groundlessness of existence. A sense yeah, of when you wrote in the book, uh, Kirk, you talk about the you talk about some different disorders like depression and bipolar and some different things that take place on a on an average level with society. But when you're talking about these individuals or you're talking about the expanse that the polarized mind is now having as an effect on the world, you're talking about something that's gone even deeper. It's it's even beyond just the cultural and the the, the social upbringing. Just it's beyond just the religious. It's it's much bigger when you're talking about helplessness and hopelessness, yeah? Yes, uh, and I think that's where uh, an existential perspective is very helpful. Uh, it looks at the roots of trauma beyond uh, the, the familial and, and the cultural uh, systems that, that have oppressed individuals or groups to the implications of, of those kinds of oppressions uh, for a sense of one's actual being in in the world, one's actual relationship to existence as a whole. So it's not just the sense of smallness or fragility before one's parent, but the sense of smallness and fragility before uh, the, the cosmos, uh, and 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 that is a, uh, another level. Um, I would say. Uh, a deeper level or more foundation-shaking level than, than even the fear of, of being devalued 
by uh, by individuals, by people, society. Um, I mean, existentialism attempts to look at the the fullest and deepest relationships of the human being. And uh, one of the most powerful yeah. statements that I I it just struck me in a way that I don't think this term has struck me before, and it was it right in the beginning of the book where you write uh, that. Polarization in all forms appears to be based not just on a reaction against a particular family or society or physiology, but on the shocking nature of the human condition itself, which at its extremes is the most daunting condition of all. And we we hear that term, the human condition, but that really is what it is. That is, in a sense, another form of, uh, to a certain extent, disorder. And, and that's what we are trying to navigate, either from a very extreme perspective or not. And, and that was probably the crux that I really got from your book. Can you expound that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, the, the human condition can be both uh, terrifying, uh, harrowing, and potentially uh, liberating and uh, a source of... of, of great spiritual um, uh, consciousness. So uh, what, what I'm speaking about here is, well, let me give you an example. It seems that we're having a, a, just a, a kind of, a, you could say, extraordinary conversation, um, uh, you know, in, in ordinary circumstances over uh, a phone through, you know, electronic means. But really what's going on at a deeper level is we're having an ordinary or extraordinary conversation through electronic means uh, that is rooted on a, a, a ball that is whirling around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour mm. that is nested in a galaxy that is hurtling through the universe at 1.2 million miles per hour to a destination that's completely unknown. Now, we don't usually think about this, uh, this underlying uh, fact, but uh, it's happening at every moment, and we, we tend to only get exposed to it either through some extraordinary spiritual teaching or trauma. And in fact, it's often trauma or crisis that leads to an extraordinary spiritual teaching. So trauma, in a sense, uh, rips open the fabric of of routine and familiar living uh, and and opens us to the the groundlessness or the, the void of existence, which can obviously make us feel quite terrified, quite lost, uh, and uh, then the question is, how do we react to that? And if we're not prepared to react to it, which most of us aren't, and particularly in the Western world, because we cover this uh, mysterium tremendum, as Rudolf Otto, the theologian, put it, we cover it over very quickly as soon as we're uh, brought into our families, our culture, with, with rules and regulations, and we're not given a lot of practice in learning how to be with 
this tremendous background that we come out of, um, we tend to react in, in the, toward the direction of, uh, again, rules, regulations, uh, and if we're particularly terrified, toward absolutism. And I, and I think that's what really sees the number of these leaders in their culture, cultures. Now, the thing I, I should mention also is a big question here is whether the leader and the culture have, have the, both the means and the capacities to become tyrannical. Not everybody has the means or capacities to become tyrannical. And that has to do with uh, a combination of one's disposition and, um, you know, weapons at one's disposal or uh, industrial capacity in the, in the case of a culture. I'd so, like to go back to yeah. something, because based on what you've said and, and, and through the course of the book, it's very clear that because we're human, we are all polarized to a certain extent. We've all experienced yeah. degrees of fear. We've all had to go through certain traumas, and in the case, have had some sort of panic situation. Um, this past year, I went through an extreme trauma. In my own experience, I came to two specific uh, intentions that I started out in life with uh, that I wrote about in my own book, Your Journey to Love. And those two intentions were, I want to be so special that I'm not like anyone else. And I want to be, the second one was, I want to be uh, just like everyone else so I can be loved, which are two completely opposite scenarios. Mm. And that's what I got when you were talking about personal significance versus insignificance. And that's that's a big piece of it, and especially when we look at these, these leaders that do become tyrannical. It's almost as if their, their need for significance stems so greatly from this feeling of insignificance, and, and that's exactly. where the struggle is, back and forth. Yes, yes. They do everything they can to avoid any hint of not counting and of, of feeling insignificant, helpless, and ultimately, in, in my own terms, uh, Groundless, groundless. Um, again, uh, there's a whole uh, movement in social psychology called terror management theory, and they've done a number of studies showing that people who are primed with death anxiety and, and with these, especially these themes of a sense of helplessness and, and insignificance, tend to become more rigid, more absolutist, uh, more ethnocentric. Uh, more preoccupied with materialism and, and wealth and, and even more prejudiced and racist uh, than those who are not primed with death anxiety. So we have some very interesting psychological studies that, that indicate these, uh, these dispositions. But yes, bringing it back to a personal level, um, I very much appreciate what you're saying about uh, wanting to feel like you count. And, uh, well, whether and, and in wanting to feel like we count, when we talk about these leaders, then what you're really saying is, is so many of the people that reach the top, their, their grounding experiences are what got them there, but it is that feeling of groundlessness in those experiences that perhaps um, create the control or create uh, the need to insist on a certain dogma or belief system that they then carry out that many people buy into. Yes, 
Yes, exactly. And and the the tragic part is that too often their their cultures, the cultures they lead, are, are also coming from a similar place. Those cultures have at least perceived themselves to have been devastated. I, I mean, uh, one example would be uh, Nazi Germany. Uh, you know, just just after World War One, uh, the the sense of uh, economic and and spiritual depression. Kirk, let's get let's talk about that at the next break. Why historically have we settled for second-rate lives? Why have we poured our energy and talent into war machines, national identities, and culturally created gods? Don't we have anything better to do with our own lives? Isn't the amazement and passion we seek in others, be they people or things, dormant within our lives? Right now, the issue is the long history of mystery, denial, and what perpetuates it. This is from the book The Polarized Mind why it's killing us, and what we can do about it. It's written by Dr. Kirk J. Schneider, and it's definitely a book worth reading, especially at this time, to help us understand not only the world, but ourselves. You can find out more about Dr. Schneider at kirkjschneider.com. That's K-I-R-K-J-S-C-H-N-E-I-D-E-R.com. We'll be right back with Dr. Schneider and the Polarized Mind. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444... People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Why spiritual spelunking? Why tending to our inner garden? Why devoting time to inner being? when so much external doing calls upon us. An Indian sage put it wisely, your own self-realization is the greatest service you can render the world. Join host Jeel Asselin as he serves as both guide and companion on the journey within. Nurturing the spiritual spelunker in all of us can be heard every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. 
You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. What do a school shooter, a corporate swindler, and a bullheaded ideologue have in common? They all converge on what author Kirk Schneider terms the polarized The polarized mind, which is the fixation on one point of view to the utter exclusion of competing points of view, is what's killing us and has been for millennia. Draw standpoint of existential psychology, the polarized mind details the basis for the polarized mind and how it's wrapped leaders and their cultures up to and including our own time. These steps we are urgently needing to and address the problem are listed in the book. These steps combine con- contemporary insights with centuries of cross-cultural awe-inspired wisdom. You can find out more about Dr. Kirk J. Schneider at kirkjschneider.com. And the title of the book, again, is The Polarized Mind, Why It's Killing Us, and What We Can Do About It. Welcome back, Kirk. Uh, we were discussing Thank you. a little bit more about the, the, the trauma theory that you had mentioned and how that leads to that people feeling humiliated or hopeless and then eventually to more tyrannical or dominant sort of perspective on life. Can you talk a little bit about uh, either something in the world or a personal issue that helps us to understand this a little bit more and how we end up in this place of groundlessness and what we can do about that? Well, I alluded to the example of of Nazi Germany before, but I, I think you could draw parallels to... Uh, the the culture in in Russia, for example, prior to the revolution, uh, to China after its uh, devastation by colonial powers and and Japan uh, just after World War II, and then the rise of Mao. But I think there are some parallels you could see uh, in our own country to uh, how there was a uh, a, a real uh, closing of ranks uh, right after uh, 9/11 uh, toward toward a very militaristic uh, reaction uh, uh, against uh, those we we feared were uh, were attacking us, but it became much more generalized when we then uh, uh, attacked uh, Iraq uh, based on what now appears to be very uh, uh, problematic evidence. But uh, to, to ground this, in a, this, to ground this discussion in, in more personal terms, um, I uh, really experienced the, the root of, of this sense of helplessness and groundlessness as a small child when I uh, experienced uh, the, the death of my seven-year-old brother at uh, about uh, three years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wasn't obviously it wasn't just my own uh, experience of his death, but uh, that of my parents, and uh, it was uh, understandably uh, uh, just devastating for them, mm-hmm. and put me in a position where, as I was saying before, the the fabric of routine, safe. Uh, familiar living, uh, the familiar faces of, uh, you know, uh, upbeat or a very uh, uh, stable or centered parents uh, just just shattered uh, over a, a quite a, 
abrupt period of time. And uh, I was uh, thrust into this, this abyss, uh, as were my parents. But uh, they had resources, obviously, that, that I, I didn't have. And um, I, I reacted in a, a very uh, polarized way, you could say. I uh, would go on... Uh, crying jags for uh, for days uh, i would have extreme temper tantrums uh at one point actually uh, uh kicking a, a tooth out of out of my mother's mouth when she was trying to to hold me and uh, i i had i was seriously uh down spiraling but uh in their their wisdom um my parents uh, and and their their means. Uh, my parents uh, referred me actually to a child analyst when I was uh, about five years old, and this was one of the most important encounters in my life. I, I would say that in many ways it was life saving. And I don't remember a thing that this analyst said to me, but what I do remember was his uh, rock solid presence. Mm-hmm. The sense that in some way, in some profound way, he had been there. And that he not only survived that turmoil in his own life, but in, in a very real sense, thrived uh, in becoming this quite uh, remarkable uh, professional and, and witness and healer, and uh, I think that, that, as I said, it was a major turning point in my life where, where I moved from a sense of, of abject terror and paralysis and lostness to incremental um, intrigue and even uh, wonder and, and uh, fascination with the situation I was in. So, I'd like to go back to, yeah. to a couple of things that you said, Kirk, um, because I think they'll be very important. Number one, when this trauma happened to you, it happened at a time where emotionally and mentally we're not really even capable of understanding something like that. So it's something we take in physiologically into our bodies. Yes. And it has to express. And so it's, Oftentimes, we go throughout life experiencing or reacting to things from a physiological level that we don't really even have a mental or emotional basis from. And, and, and I think that, you know, if you can speak to a little bit of, of how that plays out in this polarized mind effect um, and, and, and how presence really counteracts that and, and, and really go yeah. back into how it's not the words that are said, but, but the communing, that some sort of, of, of real degree of seeing, hearing, acknowledging, regardless of the age, someone being able to do that, how healing that is. Yes, well, you, you put it beautifully, really, um, and this is, this is a major point of, of existential and, and depth-oriented therapy is that as people move into these deepest 
wounds, these 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 deepest uh, places of groundlessness. Uh, they no longer have words to describe them. These these aren't just intellectual problems. These aren't just behavioral outward problems. These are these are problems with an embodied sense of living. Uh, as you say, I, I think they, and I think we'll discover that these upheavals are actually uh, uh, inherent in, in our cells in some way. They're absorbed into the cells of our, our bodies. So as people go deeper in, in the therapeutic process, they often start alluding to very cosmic or existential terms to describe their, their struggles. Uh, for example, the sense of, of being swallowed, uh, the sense of drowning, uh, the, the sense of uh, falling into to a black hole. Uh, mm-hmm. Or as one of my clients recently put it, uh, uh, feeling, experiencing the Bermuda Triangle of her life. And, and many people know about the, the legend of the Bermuda Triangle, which is a place that supposedly I swallowed ships and planes. Very powerful embodied metaphors of something that, that can't be captured in, in simple words. And, and so... Even those metaphors really fall short. Uh, what seems to be very important as, as people go into those places is not so much what is said between healer or therapist and client, but what is felt, what is sensed. Mm-hmm. And as you say, uh, this is where presence uh, or what I'd call the, the holding and illuminating of that which is palpably significant between therapist and client and within the client is, is so crucial. Presence has both a holding and an illuminating aspect. The holding is a kind of a sanctuary, a sacred space where somebody can drop in to this very core place and, and, and be more present to it themselves. Or as I, I, would, I put it, they can reoccupy a part of themselves that they have blocked off and design their lives around avoiding. And it's, it's almost a literal reoccupation project. It's not just intellectual. It, it involves that kind of uh, uh, indwelling or reconnection with a part that's been, been cut off. Uh, and the illuminating part is what one discovers in being with that place, and uh, hopefully through that that very delicate process of of depth oriented therapy, one discovers a capacity to experience uh, the fuller ranges of one's thoughts, feelings, sensations, intuitions. Uh, sense of, of being in life. And, and I, I call that fuller experience uh, the attainment of, of a sense of awe toward living. By awe, and so I mean, when, we, yeah. when we deny the willingness to be present with those parts of ourselves or the willingness to be present uh, 
to, to just even the feelings or the sensations, then we are equally denying the mystery of the, or the awe that exists within us as well. Yeah, that's right. Unfortunately, that, that is the, the huge trade-off uh, that, that many of us uh, make in, in this culture because, uh, and in a number of other cultures, because uh, these cultures are not really uh, geared toward helping us to be more fully present. They're geared more toward some kind of quick fix or instant gratification. We want uh, answers. We want answers now. We're taught that we can get the answers. So how is that part, uh, how, how, how do answers actually imprison us or actually create more prejudice than staying in the mystery? Well, again, I think you can see this problem uh, from everything from uh, uh, how uh, materialistic uh, we can be and, and seeing uh, you know, product as our, our answer. Uh, often advertising is about giving us the illusion of power and control, uh, you know, whether it's making us think that we're uh, invulnerable, uh, you know, through a, a drug or some uh, type of uh, uh, food or clothing or something that gives us great sex appeal. Uh, these are the kinds of answers that uh, can also obviously trap us because uh, they're, they're not about the, the deeper questions of, of how one feels about life or, or the question of purpose and meaning in life. Um, they're, they're more about, uh, you know, feeding a, a certain system, a socioeconomic model uh, that um, depends on uh, people uh, getting instant answers and um, Obviously, uh, paying money <laughs> yes. to to support those those instant answers and and being sort of seduced to to move in those directions. Um, Clark, we live in when you're talking about this materialism and and this constant need to fill ourselves up. Can you provide the distinction between? narcissism and the polarization that you're talking about, because we do have a society that is leading to a more and more narcissistic nature, which is less empathetic, less, less able to see the other. Uh, so how is this the same or different than just, not just general narcissism, but more extreme narcissism? Well, I, I think it's very similar to, uh, to general narcissism and, and extreme narcissism. Um, in fact, uh, I think one of the problems is that we have sort of two two groups that can that have been identified uh, by organized psychology and psychiatry. One group is the the diagnosed, and so we we have these diagnoses of 
uh, narcissism and what we call uh, uh, psychopathy uh, or antisocial personality, which are very similar to narcissism. They're they're about uh, you know the the unchecked quest for uh, power. Uh, they're about uh, lack of conscience. And in what we do, they're they're about uh, attaining instant gratification, especially for the self. Uh, but isn't it interesting that we have all these people that we have diagnosed as narcissistic and and psychopathic that we see in clinics or hospitals or, or prisons, but that there there's a whole range of what I'd call undiagnosed people throughout the history of the world that have been much more destructive and abusive that have not, none of these labels, but reflect almost the exact same traits. Mm. <laughs> and mm. I'm talking again about these, uh, these polarized leaders uh, throughout history uh, who uh, have gotten away with uh, very destructive uh, uh, selfish, uh, abusive uh, acts, and uh, unfortunately, uh, we're we're plagued with this problem uh, right up to contemporary times. We're going to head out to a break, and I'd love to go back into that part of the conversation. The expansion of shadow of America is one thing that we can dive into. It is the most successful democracy in history, and also the most expansionist. The two key bases for this expansionism is racism and mercantilism, which link intimately to the contemporary world. And is there a solution? Awe-based reformation. Awe is our fundamental relationship to mystery, and mystery is the essence of being. It is our humility and wonder, or sense of adventure toward living. The distinguishing feature of awe is paradox. It is the realization that we are both moldering dust and glittering gods, and that our solace lies between these two extremes. This is a formidable problem, to be sure, yet in the view of Dr. Kirk Schneider, it is imperative to address this problem if we are to survive. This is from the book, The Polarized Mind, Why It's Killing Us and What We Can Do About It. You can find out more about Dr. Schneider at KirkJSchneider.com. We'll be right back after this. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444... 
People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. This is the Seventh Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll free at 1 866 472 5795. Again, 1 866 472 5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. I invite you after the show to take a look at the video on the 1111 Talk Radio page, Introducing the Vision of Oneness. It is a collective co-creative group that is forming to support individuals, artists, coaches, teachers, and healers into more support and prosperity so that their gifts get out into the world. Definitely connect to that video. In addition to the 30 Days of Awakening, a free 30 Days of Awakening that I am offering through my website to help people ground more deeply into the essence of their being. My guest today is Dr. Kirk J. Schneider, and he's written The Polarized Mind, and this passage is from that book. The embrace of mystery throughout history has brought us to a very critical juncture. How can we limit polarization today and move toward a society based more on awe than on panic, choice more than on compulsion, and depth more than on mechanical routine? Or to put it another way, how can we limit polarization without devolving into either numbing indifference or muddled moderation? We need to address childbearing. If we don't get that right, the roots of polarized minds will ever elude us. In this vein, we need to enable workable doses of anxiety as well as wonder into the developmental mix. Powerful chapters that really speak to uh, how we can rear children and what is necessary in embracing both ends of the polarity so that we don't end up polarizing our very children as we bring them up. Welcome back, Kirk, and I'd love to go back to some of that discussion you were talking about when we were speaking on narcissism and leaders and how they possessed both the extreme narcissism as well as the average, but turned it into really, really devastating impacts upon peoples and countries and the planet. And as I look at the political system today and I look at, you know, everyone that's in politics and where they're headed, it is very clear that they're all narcissists. And how do we choose the better narcissist to lead our country or lead uh, different organizations or to follow? Uh, What is our place in that? So I'd love for you to answer uh, probably questions that are not fully answerable, but whatever whatever awe you can bring to that, I would love to hear it. <laughs> well, uh, a very, very challenging question <laughs> um, <laughs> that would could probably take uh, many, many uh, weeks to uh, to discuss and, and unpack. 
but just uh, more more off the cuff, I, I think that it would be important for people to look at leaders who, uh, first of all, seem to be more more centered in their approach to to politics, uh, to uh, the, the challenges of our society, meaning more more deliberative uh, rather than knee jerk or reactive. Uh, more of a capacity to uh, reflect uh, philosophically uh, on the world uh, than just uh, ideologically in, in an extremist or narrow sense, um, who, who display some degree of, of empathy toward, toward those they're, they're actually with and, and toward the, the society and, and world at large. Um, I may be talking about a pretty idyllic leader, but uh, I, I think you can see uh, some of this range among among the the current uh, uh, political uh, spectrum that that we're uh, we're dealing with today. Um, and on an individual level, is our position in this what you call all based reformation? Uh, y- yes, I. I mean, I believe that this is the the long term, or, or one of the long term alternatives to this problem of polarization, what I call awe based reformation, which is basically uh, about uh, helping people on a uh, a very large scale to uh, be more. Uh, Comfortable uh, with uh, their the denied parts of themselves. Um, I mean, this may seem pretty far out there, but I, I believe that we need this kind of reformation in a very urgent way, and uh, uh, I, I'm really advocating for some kind of equivalence to uh, Roosevelt's public works program for uh, uh, reforming the the physical infrastructure of society to a public works program for reforming the emotional infrastructure of our society. Uh, I I think uh, that we we really could use uh, an an army, if you will, of, of depth facilitators to help us at many levels in our culture. One of those levels would be in the legislative system where uh, depth facilitators could facilitate more person-to-person encounters between legislators who are on opposite sides of each other. So instead of uh, just the kind of knee-jerk reacting or rhetoric that we see between opposing legislators, what about having a facilitator who can help them to slow down and to tell their their deeply personal stories about an issue of moral import to help them to uh, understand more deeply where they're coming from and through that understanding hopefully achieve some kind of a basis for common ground 
or at least uh, uh, realization of, of what the, the issue is so that one could proceed toward more of a common ground. Um, what about the, the person-to-person facilitation of encounters between diplomats from different countries, even heads of state? And on a whole other realm, what about the support of in-depth, uh, emotionally corrective, longer-term healing and psychotherapy for all the disaffected youth in our country, mm-hmm. uh, rather than the, the sort of short-term, you know, patch-up uh, mental health that is too often uh, the, the only choice for, for many of the, these youth, and, and for many people who just can't afford uh, the more in-depth services, you know, which we we know are tend to be more optimal for people in in the long run, and it makes sense because uh, you you look at how uh, deprived or, or depraved their uh, their backgrounds have been, uh, you know, both in in, the, in their families uh, or their their subcultures that they're coming from. These kinds of uh, situations require, um, I think, major uh, mentoring and uh, uh, nurturing figures for people. Is that making sense? Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I love this. There, there are two chapters that I absolutely love, love, love in your book, and one of them is The Embrace of Mystery Through History. And you mm. talk about the distinction between the all-based mind and the polarized mind, and they're, they're completely different. One's very yeah. isolated and dominant, and one is very uh, co-creative and, and, and really collective. It's, it's trying to, to find the, the meeting point. So when we, we talk, and you write about Abraham Maslow and how he talks about attaining a second naivete and an innocence of perception and an expressiveness. And so when we talk about these mediations and, and this new way of doing things, uh, if it were introduced, is that is that part of what would, would start to happen, perhaps, is there would be this new innocence of perception because we'd be seeing beyond our just one-sided uh, argument that that each person has to to be able to almost empathize even at a legislative level at all levels to to kind of ground a birthing of empathy. Yes, uh, precisely. When when I talk about uh, awe based consciousness, I'm talking about the cultivation of a sense of humility and wonder, or adventure toward living. Um, it's it's getting out of our own way, in a sense. It's it's helping people to uh, move from from uh, an over identification with a, a petty uh, or self devaluing or, or very uh, uh, crushing point of view to uh, the more of who we are. And, and that openness to the more of who we are is like a second naivete that Maslow talks about in terms of his self-actualizing uh, subjects. Uh, they have a kind of, uh, uh, well, I guess uh, some uh, 
Buddhist practitioners would call it uh, child's mind or, or big mind. Um, they're they're able to open to the the wonder and even amazement of uh, of people and and things that are very different from them, <laughs> and uh, and that that kind of openness. Um, Certainly can lead to uh, more uh, more bridge building uh, among diverse peoples. Um, and it could lead to uh, personal and and cultural growth, and the, the the richness that comes to comes from being more open to to, to diverse points of view. Uh, but at the same time, this this awe based perspective is acutely aware of uh, how fragile and, and, and mortal we are as, as people. Uh, in other words, uh, I think that's part of the, the beauty of this sensibility is that it really captures the paradoxical situation that we're in, that we're, we, we are vulnerable and, and fragile beings at the same time as we have a great capacity for transcendence and for boldness and creativity. And so I think the awareness of our fragility and our vulnerability would, would help uh, ground us in, in our attempts to, um, you know, reform our world uh, so it wouldn't be a completely naive sort of uh, attempt to, to achieve some some utopia or ideal that that is not grounded in the uh, limited aspects of our our being. Yes. Yes. And as we move to allow ourselves to be more grounded in our views we also can instill this wisdom at the root through child-rearing. The best parents, in Dr. Schneider's view, combine extensive vision with contractive focus. They are authoritative, uh, being permiss- con- in contrast to being permissive or authoritarian. They appreciate the paradoxes of human life on ever-present capacity to evolve. They embrace spontaneous play as they do disciplined work. They find appropriateness for the living engagement as well as timeliness. There's a dynamic balance in the face of continual change and need for adjustment. How many parents purposely raise questions with their ch- charges, introduce them to puzzling myths or stories, and support them to experience the power of those encounters? How many take them on physical or intellectual adventures or point to adventures as they arise, such as the exhilaration of thunder or the arrangement of stars? While children are naturally exposed to the inexplicable through their play, their curiosity about nature, etc., it seems they are taught to prize that inexplicability, to immerse themselves in it, and to see where it leads. This is all from the book, The Polarized Mind, Fights Killing Us and What We Can Do About It. I urge you to connect with Dr. Schneider at KirkJSchneider.com and pick up your copy and read through so that you truly understand our place in the world, where we need to heal, and also what our leaders are doing and how the world is changing based on this polarized mind. We can make a difference, but it begins with ourselves. Until next week, I'm Simran Singh, in love, of love, with love, and as love. Be well. 
Thank you for stepping into the doorway of conscious choice with 1111 Talk Radio. Please join host Simran Singh again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for another enlightening edition here on the 7th Wave Network. Remember, shift happens. We'll be right back. 